I'll tell you what episode number this is. First Frame's first episode of 84. All right. Welcome, everybody. Expert. Welcome, welcome to episode 84 of First Frame's first. Uh, my name is Adrian Constant, and I am one of your wonderful hosts. I'm Jason. I'm the less wonderful host. So uh, thanks, everyone, for being with us today. Uh, we have a special guest, uh, Ifoma Smart. He um, is a Muay Thai fighter, professional, um, really super good dude. Um, and, uh, you know, he, if you watch our TV show, Art of Eight Limbs, season two, you're probably going to see him in a couple episodes because he's corner, a corner man uh, with crew Chris Gregg from TKO Fighting Arts here yeah. in Kitchener. And, uh, you know, we wanted to take a second... Uh, you know, normally we're bringing on filmmakers and we're bringing on um, actors and uh, or we're giving you guys updates on what's going on in our lives and, and with the filmmaking journey. And, um, you know, there is there's there's a lot going on in the world right now. And um, we're all stuck inside with covid. Um, you know, there's a lot of heat right now in the world uh, in the. Black Lives Matter movement, um, and we wanted to take a second and talk uh, about it and get some questions answered. You know, if if any of you guys that are out there that are watching us live have things that you want to talk about, we can do that. And um, we just wanted to take a break from the film stuff and have a discussion and see where that takes us. So yeah, so uh, I, I will just say that uh, if Oma, I, I noticed. Uh, on Ifoma's Instagram is when I noticed that he had been to one of the rallies here in Kishna. Mm. And so I thought it would be really good to get his perspective on what is going on in the world and then in Canada itself. Yeah. So we're going to take, we're going to, we're going to throw our, uh, our intro on and then we're going to be back with Ifoma. All right. Hey guys, I'm Adrian. And I'm Jay. We run Fable Forest Films. Right now, we're totally independent. But what's the dream? making crazy awesome film and television for the biggest studios this podcast is our journey hey. here we go hey, hey. <laughs> welcome 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 Hello. um if Oma, thanks for for being with us um you know uh we like we said at the beginning we just want to take take some time and chat about what's going on in the world and and get some perspective um you know Speaking for myself, I'm not a particularly political guy. I tend to not get into a lot of um, debates. Uh, right. In I try, and e even with with our filmmaking and this show, I tend to keep my professional uh, life and my filmmaking life a little bit separate. Um, and so, you know, I I tend to not get into fights with people uh, on Facebook, you know, on other platforms. You know, but I found myself engaging with a lot more people these days, and right. uh, so thanks, thanks for being here. And 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 um, maybe can we take a couple seconds and just kind of sure. uh, maybe introduce yourself to our audience and let people know kind of um, a little bit about yourself and and kind of um, you know some of your hobbies and and whatever you're you're in, you're uh, willing to give up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me on, guys. Um, 
So again, my name is Ifoma Smart. I've lived in Kitchener-Waterloo for about 12 years. I've lived in Canada for over 40 years. Um, I've been a martial artist for over 20, initially started at doing Taekwondo. I've got a second degree black belt in Taekwondo and pivoted to doing Muay Thai when I joined, rather when I moved to Kitchener-Waterloo and joined TKO. Mm. Um, by profession, I'm an IT professional with over 25 years experience working for large Fortune 500 companies. That's really what pays the bills and keeps me out of trouble. Um, and I'm also a father. Right, and I've got. A, I'm a father. I've got uh, two teenagers and two stepkids, and so when I look at what's been happening, you know, to your point, Jay, just around the world, um, I'm not a political person either. But something about what happened recently with George Floyd just felt different. It felt intrinsically different, and I don't know whether it's because we saw most of everything unfold uh, over video mm -hmm. um, from different perspectives, you know, different apertures, but, and from start to finish, but seeing someone's person, someone's life extinguish and seeing them call out for their mother. I mean, if that doesn't move you to your soul, um, then you don't have one, right? Mm -hmm. So when that happened, I realized that it's, it was a turning point for me personally um, in terms of things that, you know, I needed to do and, make my voice heard, but I think it also became a turning point and has become a turning point for the world. So the fact that we're here having this conversation, the fact that, you know, two, you know, two white guys like you call yourselves <laughs> um, have a genuine interest in understanding what's going on and what you can do differently and to partake in that conversation, then he's already made an impact. So. I think, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, Nobody, mm, nobody really wants to hear uh, uh, what what we have to say. You know what I mean? I I think I, I think we need to make sure that we're spending more time listening and less time talking, uh, and that's very difficult uh, for me. Uh, thank you, Adrian, for sharing. <laughs> so Adrian's, Adrian's practicing what you just said. Right? Yeah. He just, Jay loves to talk. He, he doesn't have it. to practice. But, but Jay, here's where I challenge you, right? I think being silent on topics like this, especially at such a critical time, um, is wrong, right? Mm -hmm. I do think there is a time to listen. There's a time to hear different perspectives. But there's also a time to, to speak out. Case in point. Um, I'm on social media, as you guys know, um, and it took me a while before I was able to find my voice and figure out what I wanted to say and use that platform for, right, in terms of responding to what happened to George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And I sat back and I sat with it and I, it, it sat with me for so long. And then something moved me and it was a friend's post. Again, I don't distinguish between black and white, but it was a white friend's post who actually came out and said something about it, right? Mm -hmm. And came out and and engaged and start to have the conversations. And more and more friends started to reach out to me and have the conversation. And my partner asked me, like, what can I do? What do you need? How can I help? Mm -hmm. How can I be an ally? And I thought, that's actually very comforting. That's very comforting because I'm that gave me the power and the strength to find the words and to find my voice to be able to speak about it and, and to have conversations like this so listen for sure but definitely you know if you've got an opinion or a perspective on it now's the time to be heard mm -hmm. right 
I think I think um, what happened to me recently uh, was that again, kind of kind of like you mentioned, I've been pretty silent on social media, and right. um, and uh, you know, like a lot of uh, a lot of our friends are very vocal, sure. which is great uh, for many political. Um, and environmental and all kinds of reasons. Uh, I mean, Adrian and I know, I don't know if this uh, makes a difference, but a lot of artistic and very creative people. And I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, I will, I'll take a stab in the dark and say that like people that have a, a, a more of a, let's say a businessy type of background, maybe are feel slightly more, Un, and not ready to to make a stand on certain key issues maybe want to you know watch and pay attention and and i think the uh the you know the creatives and the artistics uh tend to want to speak out a little bit more and and uh fire from the heart and and yeah. all that and um but what happened was that uh i saw a couple of my coworkers um get into kind of a heated argument over facebook and uh you know, the person that they were arguing with was quite ignorant and, Mm. um, you know, and, and it just made me, uh, want to reach out to them directly and just see how they were doing, make sure they were okay. Both, sorry, both black men and just talk to them for a little while about how they're doing and how they're feeling. And, uh, I also, you know, it's weird, but it does feel kind of hypocritical to reach out like weeks after and just be like, how are you doing? But, you know, you, you kind of see something happen where they're having this argument and you're like, yeah, you guys are in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you're, you know, very tired of having these arguments again and again. And so, so, um, yeah. Can you, Adrian mentioned that you went to the, the black lives matter, um, protest gathering. I did. Can you talk to us a little bit about the feeling and kind of how it went down and what it was like and, who was there and sure absolutely so um a friend of mine um had gone to a protest in toronto on uh i believe it was on the the saturday before mm-hmm. and again shortly after the whole george floyd thing um the toronto protest was fairly significant and just out of convenience i wasn't going to go <laughs> but the 401 is terrible it's horrible <laughs> <laughs> that is terrible it's the worst yeah um but when something happens in your backyard and there's an opportunity for your voice to be heard in your backyard where you live, um, I thought pandemic be damned, right? Like I will take the risk. Um, I had, you know, my fiance and I, we both went down and we had our, you know, triple ply masks on, gloves on, hand sanitizer, and we had our signs. And we were there to be a part of that movement because it is so important. And I looked at it from a couple of different perspectives. Perspective number one is when something like this is happening in your backyard, you do have to make your, vo- you have to contribute, contribute your voice to the course. As a father and as a role model to my kids, what message would that send to my kids? You know, point number two, if I didn't go, mm-hmm. right? If right. I didn't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I have to lead by example and, and, you know, show that there are some things worth taking a risk for. 100%. Right? And then, you know, to your to your other question about who was there, um, again, it comes back to where the voices are coming from. And 
a lot of the voices, and again, it's you look at the demographics of Kitchener Waterloo, predominantly white. A lot of the voices that were there were white suburban and some rural voices, mm-hmm. um, with a handful of you know black people like myself, right? And I found I found that really powerful for there to be you know a, an army of you know white folks that are you know chanting Black Lives Matter and. And, you know, talking about oppression and talking about, you know, defunding the police and police violence and ending racism. It's like, holy shit, you guys, sorry, can I swear on this? (laughs) 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 You guys, you guys get it. You're, you're in it. You're, you're actually, you're here and you're, you're in the fight. Yeah. The thing that you, you know, and I kind of wrestled with this for a moment in that there are people that are there really and truly to be seen for social media purposes, right? They want to add to their stories, they want to add to their followers. And what really became a sticking point for me was that, that's fine, we'll take you. Mm. (laughs) Add your voice to it, that's okay. (laughs) Add your voice to it. But we need to quickly transform this from a moment into a movement, right? And a movement has very specific set of activities that you do. And that starts with conversations like this. It includes donating, it includes reading books, it includes a variety of different things. And so I think going to a protest is, you know, for some folks, it's it's the right thing to do, for sure. I want to, I'd like to talk about a couple of things that are hard, if that's okay. Um, and uh, so, so the first one is, um, I'd like to talk about the uh, the Black Lives Matter statement. Yeah. Um, because the the one thing that you know, like I said, after I spoke to a couple of buddies, and uh, the I started having a couple of arguments with people over over Facebook, and I think that's always again, it's always dangerous because uh, you know I think most people in general are good; they care about everybody, but they get a little um, confused, I think, with certain messages and. You know, you of course you don't want to like be patronizing and try to explain certain things, and far be it for me to try to explain. But I I learned a lot uh, from what I like to learn from, which is comics, and um, I saw some comics on Facebook which I thought were really adorable, and uh, one of them said something like, um, you know, hey, uh, if we say save the whales we're not saying like fuck every other fish uh, in the ocean we're just talking about the fact that like the whales need some help right now so when you're saying black lives matter it's not saying that black lives are more important than any other particular lives right um it's it's that we need to shine the spotlight on this particular thing right now today and it's important and um you you know the one thing I love about social media is some, and I, I'm not going to say names or anything like that, but somebody called me out and said, so, you know, what you're saying is that the 5,600 people that have died from COVID in long-term care matter less. And, I, you know, I have to get in this argument about, I, I didn't say that, right? I, I'm not right. saying that that one um, situation is worse than the other or the other or the other, but there's a lot of problems going on right now and we can't we have to make sure we talk about them and, and think about them and shine a spotlight. For sure. I, I'll just say that I do think COVID is going away and I don't, you know, I, I think this is a long, this is a problem that this is a long term thing. This has been happening and for has a long been. time. You yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. the solution is going to take a, a, take a while. 
And yeah. to change, to shift the patterns in society is going to take a while. And so to compare the, to have the two standing next to each other is kind of silly because, uh, I don't Agreed. know, I think just COVID's going away anyway. But so, I, I think you, you touch on people's raw emotions, you know? In, right. Yeah. So a, a couple of things. So mm -hmm. about what you, what you just said, Jay. So when I first heard Black Lives Matter, and even at the protest up until recently, mm -hmm. even as a black person, it, it doesn't feel, I'm not comfortable with it, mm. right? I'm not comfortable with it. And so what do you do with something that you're not comfortable with? You know, we need to use this as an opportunity to educate ourselves. And I educated my own, like I educated myself about, all right, so Aoife, why are you not comfortable with it? And, and what's the thinking behind it? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to, you know, let me give you another analogy. So mm -hmm. yeah, right now we are dealing with the COVID pandemic, but that's not like we're saying fuck AIDS, screw ALS, forget cancer, forget all these other things. Right. The reason why we're focused on COVID right now, and we're still doing those other things, right? Mm -hmm. We're still focusing on those other disease, diseases and, and ailments, but reason why we're focused on COVID right now is because it's a priority right now. Right. Mm -hmm. And right now, the priority in the United States, and it has been over the course of the last, let's say, 50, 60, 100 years or so, is that black people, especially black people, are dying at a more alarming rate at the hands of police. And so people, and especially with this George Floyd situation, um, folks are frustrated. We've They've reached a tipping point where they've had enough enough and until there there is systematic change within the united states legal system penal system education system housing system tax system across the board until those things are changed so that folks literally do have an equal footing and an equal opportunity then they're going to continue to say that right mm -hmm. but if you do find yourself in a situation where you know folks are are, are bringing up you know well all lives matter well obviously they do sure but yeah. this this is the priority and here's why do you know why and then use it as an opportunity as to educate them as to why right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um another kind of uh difficult thing that that i wanted to bring up was um and again this was this was actually talking to to a, a friend of mine back and forth um he was talking about how how important the movement is but even himself it it can get very exhausting Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, and and again, uh, you know, again, I, I don't want to name names or bring anybody up. But sure. so this a, a black friend of mine and we're just chatting back and forth. And he just also talked about how this is very daily life for him. You know, like, a, you know, uh, lots to talk about, you know, if if, if interested. Um, but he also talked about how exhausting it is to fight that fight all the time and you right. know so so we have uh, you know a lot of people right now that are um protesting and and trying to make positive change but uh you know some other people on facebook said well you know until the next thing comes up we're protesting this but then something else is going to take its place and right. something else and whatever and then it black lives matter will die down and you know blah blah so i'm like yes maybe right but because you can't well, I mean, you can, you can protest forever, but I just mean, what, what do people do when, when it, they start to get exhausted? Like, what are some of the things that are important to keep going in the limelight and keep trying to move things forward? And, and what are the, 
you know, are there things that you're kind of hearing where, you know, when we start to see positive change, you can't necessarily, um, you know, stop, but you, you know, you want to keep the momentum moving forward. No, and, and that's a fair question, right? Change has to be sustainable. Uh, it can't just be at a point in time. Um, but we also have to look at it not as a monolith. And so what's happening in the U.S. and the race and the, the racism, systematic race problems that are happening in the U.S. is intrinsically different than what's happening in Canada. Canada has its own set of challenges and demons to contend with. Um, and so how the U.S. is dealing it in terms of um, policies, in terms of legislation, in terms of... Um, you know, donations in terms of frequenting Black-owned businesses, et cetera. Those are some of the systematic changes that are happening at a more consistent level. But yeah, it, it does become fatiguing to talk about and to fight on a daily basis. Um, in Canada, I would say, you know, one of the things that we need to look at is how do we, how do we continue the conversation, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not out protesting with a sign, how do you, how do we continue to have that conversation? The ways that we do that is by by donating, right? By continuing to, to to post, by continuing to attend rallies, by continuing to you know be inquisitive and quite honestly to do something as simple as to have conversations with our kids and our families and and loved ones because that is really where the the change happens, right? It happens with individuals. It happens within cities, within towns, who we elect and, and what we do as a society. Have, so, go ahead. Sorry, have, have you ever, have, can you talk a little bit about your, you've spent 40 years in Canada. Yeah. Can you just talk about your experience living in a predominantly white society <laughs> where, where, yeah. people, where people see you as a black man? Wait, are we still? I just want to know. Are we still the, what? Predominantly, predominantly white? Predominantly white, yeah. Right. Oh, Canada? Feel, in in Waterloo? Well, sure. I think so. Okay. Yeah, absolutely, Adrian. Um, so I, um, when I first immigrated to Canada, I lived in Quebec for a number of years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and the thing about Quebec is um, they're huge on assimilation, right? And so Bill 101 specifically um, is meant to do a couple of things. It's meant to preserve the French language and the French Quebecois culture by um, ensuring that uh, kids of immigrants go to French-speaking schools. Mm. Uh, and so everyone has to speak French, all the signs are in French, everything as, you know, the television programming movies, the, the star system, everything is all in, in French, right? And so when you have a society like that, um, everyone is expected to talk the same, look the same, and essentially conduct themselves in that same Quebecois way. Right. And so growing up in Quebec as growing up in, you know, Montreal and then Elmer, Quebec, as a visible minority, someone that couldn't easily blend in despite the accent. Um, yeah, I stood out like a sore thumb. And so what I found was there were, you know, a couple of different kinds of racism. There's overt racism where, you know, it wouldn't be uncommon where I got into fights in high school because of race or if I was walking down the street and someone yelled the N-word at me um, or... Is that why uh, you got into martial arts? I would say in part. Um, I've always been a huge fan of Bruce Lee. I, like Enter the Dragon was the first movie I saw as a kid. Um, it definitely added to my confidence, but I think by the time I started martial arts, I'd already, you know, grown up and was already a strapping young man. And so 
Um, but it helped for sure. Um, but again, back to the racism. I mean, then there's, um, you know, uh, covert racism where if you walk into a store, you're, you're followed the entire time, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not that it doesn't exist, it still exists, but you just learn to adapt and be mindful of it um, every day, quite honestly, and even outside of Quebec. Um, it, it still exists. So I lived in Ottawa for 15 years. And Ottawa, I would say, compared to Kitchener-Waterloo, is certainly a bit more multicultural. Um, and so I had you know friends from all over the place. And moving here in 2007, I realized how, how rare it was to see uh, another person of color for, for weeks sometimes. <laughs> um, but there wasn't any overt <laughs> racism. I think I've probably only ever encountered that perhaps maybe two or three times in the, you know, the 12 years that I've lived here. Uh, covert racism, probably encountered it at least a hundred times easily. Mm. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, again in, in some of the discussions i've been having recently same same sort of uh same sort of feeling right. um you know uh, uh my friend had mentioned that you know he just he's been followed a number of times oh, sure. a lot longer than he would have imagined he would have been right. followed from from home to work and pulled over yeah. and just asked what he was up to by sure. by cops and things like that and you wouldn't hope that you would have that here but it exists. I mean, it certainly exists to a lesser extent, at least in my, you know, in my experience. Um, it's not to say it hasn't happened. It certainly has happened, but uh, it happens. It it exists. I remember growing up. So my dad is an academic. He uh, did his entire academic uh, career and profession in the United States. And I remember as a kid, he would, you know, when he'd come to visit or write me letters he would just go on this massive diatribe about what it's like being a black man in the United States. And you don't mm. know. And, and I would just kind of shrug my shoulders and say, oh, it's not my reality, right? Mm. It's not my reality. And I recall he did his, um, his dissertation in um, agricultural economics um, at the University of Madison, Wisconsin. Super smart guy. Um, has a JD in law, um, math degree, um, agricultural economics, almost PhD. Oh my and God. Super, super smart guy. And was um, up for um, a faculty position at the University of Madison and um, lost the position, did not get the position. He lost it to um, someone who was white who had a lesser GPA than he did. And so he did the unthinkable, he sued the university. Well, he sued them. And this consumed, wow. this consumed his life for seven years, if not longer. Almost took it as far as to the Supreme Court. Like this was, and he represented himself because he's got a law degree, so why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but fighting that kind of racism definitely took a toll on his life to the point where he he had to stop because it was going to kill him, right? And he didn't have the resources to continue. And just seeing that from a Canadian perspective, I was like, why would you, A, why would you do that? And, you know, you're making a big deal out of nothing. But the reality is there is, you know, this exists, right? Mm-hmm. It may not be our reality. It may not have been my reality, but it was certainly his reality. And these were things that people are marching for. 
right? Mm -hmm. This is why people are so up in arms and they're tired and they're looking for things to change. Mm. Sure. Your dad is quite a phenomenal individual. Yeah. He is. He is. I've got a couple of stories I could tell you guys. I love um, I love super smart people. <laughs> I'll tell You're you. I'm looking tell, at I'll them from afar. I I told 100%. I I you know, I love listening to podcasts with like the the, the uh my latest has been uh listening to Russell Brand and I've I've wow. started he's got that um under the skin podcast and I went yeah. all the way back to 2017 and it's crazy uh, his first couple episodes he's talking about racism he's talking sure. about terrorism he's talking about uh, and this is years ago but it, it doesn't matter it's like universal right and mm -hmm. uh, and he just wears his heart on his sleeve and you know wants to learn and brings professors in to talk about all kinds of craziness and um yeah, I just I love it. I love listening to somebody that can put an argument together. It's wonderful, amazing. So, so when you are when you are experiencing these various forms of racism through your life, mm -hmm. uh, it it feels like, especially when you're a minority, it 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 does it just feel like there's nothing you can do about it. You just like you're like you just kind of shrug your shoulders because. Uh, I don't know. You, are you just looking at this huge white population and you're like feeling, feeling like you're underwater surrounded by all these white people? It, it, it depends what the, what the situation is, right? Um, if, it's, if it's a look, if it's a, a situation where you're being followed, you just let it roll off your, your, your back, right? Um, if it's something more overt, then yeah, absolutely. I will certainly stand up and defend myself if I have to. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think. Go ahead, Jay. I was just going to say. I mean, the probably the the point of the kind of covert racism, as mm -hmm. you mentioned, is that if you if you say something, then oh, you're an asshole all of a sudden, right? right. Were, were you following me? No, you know, and right. it's so easy to uh, to just uh, you know pretend that, uh, right. that nothing was happening, right? And then and then all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of branded as you know a troublemaker or whatever yeah. in that particular situation, which kind of perpetuates the problem, right? That's right. And I would say, you know, um, I know I've developed uh, certainly a thick skin, but certainly an awareness around it. Mm -hmm. um, a, 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 uh, a sensory awareness of looking around and seeing, hey, hold on a second, one, two, no, I'm the only guy. <laughs> and just being aware and knowing that, knowing that, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, again, also having a thick skin about it and not letting it get to my head. Because I think once you do, then you start to become super paranoid and it's that's not a helpful situation. Mm. Right? Um, but having, you know, certainly having kids, and having biracial kids that you know go to a predominantly all-white uh, school, they're dealing with it firsthand. And mm -hmm. I, I have conversations with my son, whose peer group, and both my kids actually, um, my son, whose peer group, you know, they drop the n-bomb like, like it's going out of style. And and so I talked to him about that. I'm like, how does that make you feel? And he said, well, part of it is, you know, part of it is kids trying to fit in, trying to think that they're cool. Some of it is, you know, kids that deliberately are trying to troll you and elicit a reaction out of you, and so mm -hmm, he doesn't mm -hmm. give it, give into it. Mm -hmm. And then there are kids that are just deliberately doing it to be assholes. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And then so you you have to, you know, you have to kind of pick and choose and 
figure out which threat, what is really a threat versus what's not a threat um, and what you need to stand up for versus what you just need to ignore quite honestly and not, mm -hmm. feed, not, not feed into, right? Mm -hmm. And I think by, you know, by the fact that they're being raised with that sort of sensibility really prepares them for the world, right? But as long as, you know, there's an open dialogue and we continue to talk about it, then I think they'll be fine. Hmm. Yeah. So Adrian, Adrian, uh, well, I, I guess, I guess, um, Ifoma, uh, how are your kids dealing with the news and all sure. of the stuff that's going on right now? Um, my daughter's 13 and so she's all about TikTok <laughs> and, and less about current events. Um, that's fair. That's, you know, fair. Despite... that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. I like that. <laughs> and you kind of have to, you know, ad admire that, that innocence, that naivete, right? Like, yeah. kind of, yeah. right, it, it feels good. On. That's right. Yeah. Um, but she's aware of what's going on. Um, and I think, you know, because of the self-isolation and the, the quarantine that we're in, um, there's less of an opportunity to interact with people and have these kinds of conversations and, and exchanges. Mm -hmm. So it's somewhat of a bubble, if you will. My son's a bit more into current events and um, he's also a musician. And uh, I challenged him the other day. He's written, Miles has written, I think about 40 or 50 songs so far. And uh, sure. I, I challenged him, I said, you know, Miles, like, what do you think about this? And, you know, is this something that you would, write a song about versus the stuff that you typically write about. He's like, yeah, absolutely. And, Come on, man. <laughs> and just today, <laughs> he finished it. And so after I get off here with you guys, I'll be uh, giving it a listen. So oh, cool. yeah. amazing. What does he play? He's a, uh, he's a hip hop artist, not to perpetuate the stereotype, Ooh. but uh, yeah, he's, he's got mad lyrics. He's pretty good. That's cool. Not just as his father, but just as a fan of, of hip hop. Yeah, he's great. Cool. So, um, Ifoma, could we just talk a little bit about um, overall what is, what are the best things that people in our community, Kishna Waterloo, sure. what are the best things that we should just let's touch on those again in order to move our society in the right direction, an inclusive society where everybody has the same footing and you know. Yeah, absolutely. I would say first and foremost, there's a lot of great resources out there. Um, there's a great documentary by um, Ava DuVernay um, called The 13th. It's about the 13th Amendment in the United States and the entire uh, prison system and how it um, prejudices people of color uh, and how it came into being. Um, definitely check that out. Um, Michael Moore's, it escapes me at the moment, but he has a documentary on mm -hmm. um, comparing racism in the US versus racism globally. Mm -hmm. um, and he touches on, again, just the historical um, context behind it and how they're now dealing with, you know, the, the benefits of capitalism, quite honestly. <laughs> Um, so I would say definitely check out those two documentaries. Um, there is a book I would definitely suggest called um, Me and White Supremacy. If you Google it, I'm sure you'll find it on, on mm. Amazon. Um, it just talks about, um, you know, as people who are not of color, so white people, um, just looking at the different uh, societal systems that are in place and where you fit in and what that looks like and how those systems have been again developed and to limit and constrain people of color 
Um, outside of you know movies and books, I would say uh, there's a few folks online to follow. Um, Sean King, S H A U N King, is um, definitely one that I would recommend following. He's a grassroots uh, paralegal activist who posts a lot of things on um, police involvement, on um, just some of the changes that are happening in the U.S. and just a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, any of the Black Lives Matters uh, chapters across Canada, uh, I would say definitely check out some of the work that they're doing locally, just to understand um, their involvement in the community and how contributions can be made there. Um, and I would say the biggest thing to do is just continue the conversation. Um, you know, look for links to follow, look for things to like and to just to continue to educate yourselves and for folks to educate themselves and to be involved in, um, in the change that we hope to see happening very soon. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, and I think, I think that's really important. I mean, you know, I think that, um, you know, we, we want to make people happy. We want to make yeah. people laugh. Um, you know, we want to make uh, uh, art um, that is fun, you know, right. and, um, but we, we have to make sure we keep talking about things that are, that are important, uh, to everyone. And, um, so, we, you know, we really appreciate you being here. I, I'm, I want to take, can we take a tangent? Is that okay? Absolutely. Uh, okay. Uh, we, we, yes. Go ahead, Adrian. I will just say yeah. that if Omer was my instructor, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if Homer, if, if Homer was a jerk to oh. me, I want to Okay, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. <laughs> he was my instructor for one lesson at TKO, and it was 100% the toughest lesson that I had at TKO Muay Thai. So I think I'm was it the, it was the one where, it was literally the one where I was there, and if Homer kept going... <laughs> you were there! You were there, I remember. And he, and he kept going, you can't stop why are you so fat? Uh, I did yeah, not. Probably, you probably didn't say that, but that, like in my mind, that's what I heard. I was like, uh, anyways, um, if Oma, we, we, we do ask all, all of our guests because this is a, I mean, this is a film podcast also. Um, and you know, uh, so one thing that we like to ask all of our guests and yep. you don't have to, you can answer truthfully now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, you know, unless, all of your favorite movies have a message, but what are your three desert Island movies? Those movies that you can like watch again and again, the ones that you love and you, you don't, you don't have to watch like once every couple of years or something like that. You could put it on a couple times a week. Yeah. I would say top of the list has to be Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh my oh. God. <laughs> awesome. Cool. So awesome. Phenomenal. Yeah. David Mamet. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic, right? Um, Godfather, absolutely. Whoa, that is was unexpected. What did I, you <laughs> I, I mean, look, I, I I love Godfather, but uh, I can't watch that one uh, twice. And and the last one would be a martial arts movie because it's got to be a martial arts movie. Best of the best. <laughs> Jean Claude, right? No, no goddammit. No, no. Eric Roberts. James Earl Jones, Eric Roberts. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me uh, and Chris Penn. Yeah, you, you, uh, pop it, Tommy. That's uh, 
Oh my God. I love best of the best. Right? Yeah. Amazing. Such a, such a when, one. when Eric Roberts comes out of the bar and like, uh, clotheslines that dude. That's right. Oh my God. That was the best. So good. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, for, for being with us. I'm, I am going to play, uh, I don't know if I, we get in trouble for this, but I'm going to play the, uh, the trailer for 13th, uh, and cool. then, and then we'll sign off. But, uh, you know, again, thanks so much for being with us and talking to us about, about what's going on. Um, tough conversations, but you know what guys, uh, have them and yes. talk to your families, talk to your friends and, uh, don't be assholes. You know, try to be nice. That's be, right. be, don't, be don't good. Be, be good that's, people. That's, you know, that's, that's what I tell that, my kids. Don't be an asshole. That's that's what I that's what I have. <laughs> Lesson number one. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Hold on. We're gonna show. We're gonna show uh, the trailer here, and then we're gonna sign off. Cool. One out of four human beings with their hands on bars, shackled in the world, are locked up here in the land of the free. Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. Then they said, we're going to to the precinct, and most likely we're going to let you go home. And then I never went home. 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions including criminals. The loophole was immediately exploited. What you got after that was a rapid transition to a mythology of black criminality. Some people got the real problem. Animals, beasts that needed to be controlled. You better believe it. I'm only human. It became virtually impossible for a politician to run and appear soft on crime. The kinds of kids that are called super predators. Millions of dollars will be allocated for prison and jail facilities. Three strikes and you are out. It was an enormous burden on the black community, but it also violated a sense of core fairness. States were required to keep these prisons filled, even if nobody was committing a crime. It's so difficult to talk about mass incarceration because it has become heavily monetized. The focus is on taking people from prison, putting them in community corrections, parole and probation. How much progress is it really if now there's a private company making money off the GPS monitor? We now have more African Americans under criminal supervision and all the slaves back in the 1850s. We are the products of the history that our ancestors chose. Products of that set of choices that we have to understand in order to escape from it. I'm only human, after all, don't put the blame on me. Really hope really you hope enjoyed, enjoyed the show. The show. Wherever, Wherever you watch or listen, 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 please leave us a comment or a review. We really want to hear from you. Share the show with a friend. You know they'll love us. Head over to our website, thefableforest.com. There's all kinds of great stuff. Poke around. Check it out. See you all again in a couple weeks.